Home to the largest river swamp in North America, the Atchafalaya Basin beckons explorers from around the globe with the promise of discovery and adventure. Today we hear from adventurer and photographer himself, Ben Pierce of BSA Swamp Base. Unique, mysterious, untamed. These are just a few words that describe Louisiana's Atchafalaya Basin. I'm Caroline Byrne, Assistant Director for the Atchafalaya National Heritage Area. Join me on an adventure through the wild and rich culture and landscape of the Atchafalaya, America's foreign country. America's Foreign Country is produced by the Atchafalaya National Heritage Area with support from the Louisiana Office of Cultural Development, the Office of the Lieutenant Governor, and the Department of Culture, Recreation, and Tourism. The mission of the Atchafalaya National Heritage Area is to preserve and promote the Atchafalaya's unique heritage by fostering progress for local champions that create authentic, powerful connections between people, culture, and the environment. This is America's Foreign Country. Welcome to the second episode of America's Foreign Country, the official podcast of the Atchafalaya National Heritage Area. I'm your host, Caroline. You know how large the Florida Everglades is? When thinking about the Atchafalaya Basin, think about that, but bigger. It is the largest river swamp in North America and is five times more productive than any other river basin on the continent. It's also the only river delta in Louisiana experiencing land gain instead of land loss. Full of rivers, swamps, and bayous, the basin is the perfect habitat for reptiles, amphibians, birds, and mammals. 24 federal and state-listed threatened or endangered species make their home in the Atchafalaya Basin. These species include the Louisiana black bear, the brown pelican, and the bald eagle. In fact, the basin has the largest nesting concentration of bald eagles in the south-central United States. This wild and foreign country, Yosemite of the South, if you will, welcomes explorers of all types, and our guest today takes advantage of all the basin has to offer. My name is Ben Pierce, and I am the executive director for Louisiana Swamp Base. I started with uh, Swamp Base back in 2010. Um, Swamp Base is part of the Evangeline Area Council Boy Scouts of America. And I was not necessarily a scout as a child. I was a scout for one year back when I was six years old. Um, My background is in landscape architecture and land planning. And funny enough, I actually ran into our scout executive on a golf course back uh, 13 years ago or so. And uh, he was the unprepared person on the golf course who didn't have a tee time, and the course marshal put us together. So it's interesting that I am in an organization now that's very prepared, but the person I first met with the organization was unprepared at the time. But yeah, I've been with the organization since uh, 2010 and uh, have really enjoyed having a chance to share the Atchafalaya and, and Louisiana's culture and, and environment with people from all over the country. When I first met Ben, he made a very clear distinction between Atchafalaya Basin and Atchafalaya Swamp. I'd actually never heard it referred to as the Atchafalaya Swamp, so I asked him about it. The Atchafalaya Basin is the official name for the 1.4 million acres of swamp land located between Lafayette and Baton Rouge. However, um, when we're talking about our program and what we do with scouts and, and young people across the area, when we use the term basin, a lot of people don't know what really what you're referring to. And so a lot of people here, like the local vernacular, when they call that area, they, they usually cut out a Atchafalaya altogether. And they just call it basin. 
And so, hey, I'm going to the basin. I'm going fishing in the basin. I'm going, you know, ride my boat in the basin, whatever it is. When we talk to young people across the country and they hear us calling it basin, 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 a lot of times they might think of it as just a, a lowland area, maybe if they're if we're very lucky. Sometimes they just think of it um, kind of like a bathtub, an area that maybe fills up with water. But the, the term basin really doesn't strike any imagery for them. And so we always often refer to it as the Atchafalaya Swamp. And it is a millions of acres of, of swamp land. And so we just say swamp because there's some more imagery that's associated with it. But frankly, I just call it the Atchafalaya. I cut out basin altogether. It's just my personal take on it. You know, I want people to envision the moss draped cypress trees, see the, the, you know, the beautiful wading birds and the alligators. I want that stuff to, to come to mind when they hear the name of this area, as opposed to kind of sitting there trying to figure out what are we talking about here? What kind of environment is this? BSA Swamp Base leads groups of scouts from across the country on their high adventure trek. Here, Ben tells us a little more about that journey. We get scouts, young people, boys and girls from all over the country. Uh, and at this point, we've had 44 states represented, uh, in, including this year's 2022 treks, which will have a, a scout troop from Anchorage, Alaska coming down. They get a chance to come down and experience this amazing area that we have here in South Louisiana. And they spend five days and four nights out there in the Atchafalaya paddling 61.6 miles. That's amazing. How do you prepare a group coming from Anchorage, Alaska to deal with hot and humid Atchafalaya Swamp? I'll be honest, I don't know. <laughs> I'm, I'm not sure if you, how you prepare them. Um, the nice thing about scouting and, and what we do with our units across the country is that they have their own set of, of preparation. So I can just basically give them the information that they need in order to be successful. But it's really up to them to to study about the area, to train, to, to get the certifications that are necessary in order for them to have not only um, a safe but an enjoyable experience. So we give them the information about, you know, what kind of things may they come across, what are the typical climatic uh, kind of conditions that they'll experience, and then it's up to them to really kind of dive into it and immerse themselves in what the experience is going to be. So you know, we prepare them with, with the right types of gear and everything like that, but it's up to them to practice paddling back at home and learn how to work as a team and communicate and things like that. So it's very independent, really, when it comes down to it. We just get a chance to provide them the experience. Now, have you led any of these treks since you've been there? Yeah, I led the the very first one that we, we ever did with our staff. Now, I it's crazy because, you know, I've been doing this now. This will be our 10th summer of running high venture treks. I continue to get older, but my staff continues to stay the same age. They're always 18 to 22 or so years old, and they're much more capable of paddling the 61.6 miles now than I am. But um, I've done it myself. I had to do it myself. I'm on the water all the time anyway paddling. But at this point in my life, I don't necessarily need to go out there and, and, and paddle it right now to prove to myself, you know, that I can. Um, I've done it, and I've got a chance to, to see it. But uh I love paddling in general, so um, if I needed to step in for somebody, I guess, I, was, I wouldn't mind hopping in there and doing it. Did you have a most memorable moment? I mean, that's a lot of miles to make a lot of memories. Well, <laughs> the, maybe maybe why I had a, uh, I struggled with uh, with our trek, the first one that I got a chance to lead, is that I had a young lady in the canoe with me who didn't paddle um, very often and didn't paddle very 
very strongly. So uh, I basically paddled two people 61.6 miles my first time. So I actually feel like I've kind of gone twice, when, really, when you think about it, because um, I really had to put the effort in there for two people. But no, I really enjoyed getting a chance to see the diversity of what the swamp is. You know, at 1.4 million acres in size, people tend to think of like a swamp as just being, you know, what they see on TV um, or in the movies and things like that. And it's so much more diverse than what you think it's going to be. And so just getting a chance to, to you know, have a, a day where I'm in a bayou kind of twisting and turning and then that opens up into a big, large lake that we've got across. Just those daily experiences of seeing things that change as you get kind of further south from the Port Barry area down towards Morgan City. It's amazing how diverse it really is. But one of my favorite stories though, that I've heard of scouts that have participated, and I got a chance to speak with these scouts on a number of occasions, was a group from Indiana that had come down way back, I believe, in 2014. And they were out fishing. Um, we have a fishing program that we offer. And we set, set jug lines out there to catch catfish. We have a whole swamp to table kind of program that we do. And these scouts saw one of our catfish jug lines kind of bouncing around on the water. And they were super excited that they had gotten a large catfish. You know, it's obviously everybody's competing for the biggest catfish or the most catfish. And when they got up to it, it really stopped moving and got real strong and tight. And they're like, man, it must have gotten caught on a log or something like that under the water. And it's, it's wrapped all up and we can't get it because it wasn't really moving very well. And so the fishing guide had told them, he said, just take it up real, real slow. See if it kind of starts to, to move. And slowly but surely, it started to rise up in the line, started to slack. And as they pulled it up, they had an easy eight foot, maybe even nine foot alligator attached to the hook. And you had these scouts bending over the fishing boat right there, only about 18 to 24 inches from the gator, expecting it to be a fish or a log, and boom, there comes an alligator head right there. You should have seen them jump back in excitement and, and, and fear probably at the same time, and then immediately they whip out their phones to try to get a picture with, with the alligator. So just to have them go, you know, this was, we were anticipating something and then seeing something else, and knowing that that's going to be one of those memories that lasts with them for the rest of their lives. And we had a chance to provide that experience for them was, uh, was really cool. And I still tell people about that, that story um, frequently to this day. American alligators can grow to over 12 feet in length. You can tell the difference between alligators and crocodiles by looking at the mouth, just not too close. Alligators have rounded snouts and only their upper teeth are visible when their mouths are closed. Crocodiles, on the other hand, have pointed snouts, and both the upper and lower teeth can be seen when their mouths are closed. This past summer in 2021, we actually had a group uh, from Missouri that came through and saw 214 alligators. And so that's significant. I mean, that's, that's a lot of gators to see by anybody's count. Um, and so, we, you know, getting a chance to have like those scouts from Indiana be up close and personal with an alligator and then have a scout group come through, through and see, you know, 214 alligators, just seen over 40 of them a day on the water and asking them how often they felt like they were in danger or threatened by the alligator. And when we asked them that, they said, never. We really never did. I mean, we were a part of the environment. It was amazing to have a chance to experience them in their native habitat. But at no point did we ever really feel like we were in danger. As long as we respected them, understood where we needed to be in this ecosystem, we would be okay. And that's really great. And, and one of those kind of myths that we continue to have a chance to bust as we talk about this environment in the swamplands, that there's so many things that people think about this area and we get a chance to really show them what it's really like. You know, had you told them they were going to see 214 alligators 
prior to getting on the water, they probably would have freaked out a little bit and gotten very nervous. Like, oh gosh, you know, what, what are the chances of something happening to us in, in a negative way? And instead they get out there and they get a chance to see them firsthand and realize what these creatures really are and how their role fits into the environment and how man going in the environment, though it can be impactful, we're not really on the menu and really not uh, being looked at as a part of that. They, they're afraid of us when we're out there. When Ben took us out in the Atchafalaya, we saw one alligator, affectionately called Clotilde by the McGee Swamp Tours guide that accompanied us. I couldn't help but bring up my first true paddle experience with Ben. For the record, you did a great job, and I do not count any of the good job that you did to Justin for being in the same canoe. It was 100% your effort that got you through. Now, I, I apologize, and I will say it again. I'm sorry for, for pushing you guys and, and directing you guys to go through a bunch of vines and, and, and brush there out on the water. But, you know, like you said, full immersion. Mm-hmm. Um, you got to see what it's like. You know, you got to cross through some invasive vegetation and, and, and understand kind of the, the difficulties of that and the impacts. But you guys did awesome. I mean, smiles the whole way. You know, maybe next time we'll dial up a little bit more wind mm-hmm. for you and see how you guys can counteract that. But um, for, for a first time, I would have never known, which just goes to show you that, you know, these kind of, you know, recreational activities like paddling and things like that, as long as you are just mentally you know, kind of open to the experience, they're really not that difficult. So my, my suggestion for people, you know, is just to try to go do something like that. Try something different. Get out of your comfort zone you'll realize it's not that hard. And, and frankly, you, you're probably going to find something that becomes a, a hobby of yours and things that you're, you're really interested in doing more frequently. I know that my, my personally, my wife was, was not a, a big fan of paddling. She had no idea what to expect and how, how difficult it was. And, and once you get on the water and you get a chance to kind of see the environment in a slower, uh, quieter way, there's just something about, you know, that experience that makes people feel one with, the outdoors and we so lack that opportunity in our daily lives and when you do that but doesn't you don't have to go far but just to get out there and just experience it and take away you know get away from the the day-to-day grind of everything it's really nice so you know people are prepare if they really wanted to prepare and go on long treks like we do with our scouts you know it's just typical physical activities that you do in pe when you're in school you know push-ups sit-ups uh, maybe a couple, you know, curls with you know, some bicep curls with some weights, things like that, just to kind of get your muscles geared up for it. But really, to me, it's, it's always mental. I, I see people at the bank struggling mentally to figure out how the boat's going to stabilize with them in it. And they kind of, you know, teeter back and forth. But once they kind of just relax, um, get a chance to just kind of take some breaths, they realize that these boats are designed to be stable. They're designed to be efficient, and they end up having a really great time. Ben Pierce and BSA Swamp Base have received a few grants from the Atchafalaya National Heritage Area. One of them was to build floating campsites. If you can't quite picture what that is, I ask Ben to describe it. This is an idea that was born through kind of the, the response to the environment that we have in the Atchafalaya. And so between the levees themselves, so the spillway, the water can rise, depending on where you are, anywhere from 10 to 15 feet season to season out there. And so it makes for a very dynamic environment and one that is sometimes hard to recreate in because how do you find dry land during the, the high water time of the year that was there in the fall? You know, it, it, it disappears. So what do, you, what do you do? And so we started looking at other large swamp lands across the country, trying to find what campsites would look like in the Okefenokee in southern Georgia 
And I saw that they had these paddle up type of campsites. Well, the Okefenokee doesn't have the same kind of uh, change or fluctuation in water that we have in the Atchafalaya. So it came to an idea that if we're going to be able to, to manage and have these spaces available to people to use throughout the year, we have to have them floating. So they can't be stationary. Basically what we have are um, two 24-foot wide by 36-foot long floating platforms that have a pavilion, metal pavilion on top of them. Um, they have uh, mosquito curtains that we can put up or take down depending on the time of the year just for some added reassurance. And we get our scouts that go up there and during their paddling trip with us, they literally paddle right up there to these platforms, are able to hop out and spend an evening there surrounded by the cypress trees. And so we can move these things into locations that we couldn't put a houseboat. We can move them to locations where there's no dry land. And so it allows us a lot of different opportunities to put them in a diverse set of environments. So we could be in a dense cypress forest or we could be on an open lake or we could be down a, a canal or a bayou if we wanted to. And so it really allows us to change up our program and what we have to offer. But in addition to that, we're able to utilize them in other ways for special events that cater to families, uh, that cater to couples to come out there and see the Atchafalaya firsthand. Now, you're also a photographer. Can you tell us how you fell into that? Yeah, um, I started uh, kind of my photographic journey way back in college. Um, as I, I would say, probably most photographers kind of have that, that opportunity. Mine was going out there on uh, field trips and, and, and taking images of beautiful landscapes that were either designed by man within the landscape architecture program over at LSU or by just visiting uh, some of the national parks out west. And so just kind of getting a chance to capture those scenes um, kind of really got me geared up of how do I best tell the story of these different places. And when I moved to North Carolina after college, it continued that idea of seeing a beautiful landscape there in the mountains of western North Carolina and the and going down the trails, trying to capture waterfalls and saying to myself, how do I best tell the story of this place? How do I capture this so that when people back in Louisiana see them, they are as inspired by them as I am standing here in front of it. And so that really became kind of my initial motivation to get out there and, and practice the art and continue to hone my skills. So when I came back to Louisiana, I started looking at our own environment here or in our part of the country and said to myself, you know, this is not the cypress swamps that is, is not an environment that people think of so positively. How can we best capture this place so that when people think of swamps, they're thinking about the beautiful sunrises and sunsets and the wildlife and the diversity of this place. And so I really have really taken it as, you know, a secondary mission beyond what we do with, with swamp base to capture beautiful images and try to share them as frequently as I can. So people at, you know, all corners of the of the country, all, all corners of the world have a chance to really see and grow an appreciation for this environment. So I, I love being on the water, whether it's with scouts or, or by myself out there paddling and just getting a chance to hopefully document our state so that future generations can also appreciate it. Ben's told me before that photography is a rush for him. The excitement of waking up early to beat the sunrise for a perfect picture is unlike anything else. Here's him talking about one of his most memorable experiences. Well, you know, there's a lot of planning that goes goes into all of them, um, whether that's just identifying what's going on with the weather, 
um, making sure you know where you're going when you get on the water, setting your alarm early enough to be able to to, to beat the, the sun. But I'd say probably one of my favorite trips that I had was tied back into what we do with Swamp Base. And we have this great spot along our trail on the fifth day of paddling for the scouts um, in an area called Sandy Cove. It's down there near Lake Foss Point State Park. And a lot of our scouts uh, will try to wake up considerably earlier than the sunrise so that they can paddle down there. It's about a two-mile paddle to that location and catch the rising sun in their last sunrise there in the swamp before they finish their journey that day. And for me, coming from Lafayette, trying to get out to them and beat the sunrise and be there for them, it's a super early wake up. And you have no idea at that early in the, in the morning when it's when you're on the road at 3.30, 4 o'clock in the morning, what the conditions are going to be exactly. You know, how well are you going to be able to capture those scouts paddling? Um, where are they going to be in spots where you can get a great shot that, you know, is memorable and, and something that can serve as, you know, a, a great identity for our program? And I got out there and against, you know, all odds of having uh, not realized I didn't have my, you know, enough gas in my vehicle and my boat struggling to start and, and kind of getting lost a little bit in the dark. I made it down there to them. We beat the sunrise together and they happened to move just so seamlessly amongst the cypress trees that I got some of my most favorite images that I've ever captured of people being immersed in paddling amongst the, the cypress trees down there near Lake Foss Point. So uh, that's definitely my most memorable one because everything kind of came together and it served kind of as an inspiration for me to want to get there and be present and really try hard to, to capture those images because if you don't get out there and actually try, no one's getting a chance to, to see those beyond just the people who were there in, in present. So I got to do my best to, to set that alarm and, and, and not hit that snooze button and, and make sure I got everything ready to go when I take to the water so that way I can be there. So uh, that's definitely one of my favorites. But, I mean, you know, anytime there's beautiful, misty conditions on the water, uh, you know, people who sleep in on that Saturday morning, gosh, they're missing out. Sure, I'd love to sleep in a little bit too, but the beauty of our state and, and these, this environment is something that is really awe-inspiring. And I really encourage more people to, to get outside you know, travel to our state parks across the, the across Louisiana, get on the water, go on a swamp tour, things like that. Just get out on the water and see see the beauty that we have here. You can't see that from your couch, that's for sure. For more information on Louisiana Swamp Base, visit bsaswampbase.org. You can find grant opportunities through the Atchafalaya National Heritage Area at atchafalaya.org slash grant dash program. Special thanks to Ben Pierce for speaking with me today. Our music is by Jordan Thibodeau at La Rodaille, with permission from Valcor Records. The National Heritage Area Program is a partnership with the National Park Service. NHAs are designated by Congress as areas that tell nationally significant stories through natural, cultural, and historic resources. Designated in 2006, the goal of the Atchafalaya National Heritage Area is to preserve and promote the natural, recreational, and cultural resources surrounding the Atchafalaya River and its basin. For more information about the Atchafalaya National Heritage Area, visit www.achafalaya.org. That's www.achafalaya.org. You can learn more about the Louisiana Office of Cultural Development at crt.state.la.us slash cultural development. 
Support for this show comes from the Louisiana Office of Cultural Development, the Office of the Lieutenant Governor, and the Louisiana Department of Culture, Recreation, and Tourism.